This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, and each week through this show, I have the opportunity to interview a variety of experts who connect to the topic of each week's column. Sometimes those experts helped me, sometimes unknowingly, because I used comments of theirs from other previously published sources. Sometimes I interview those experts as a part of my writing each week's column. And other times those experts, I just know they're there and and I know they can help us expand the topic. This week, my topic, my column is entitled, May Free Speech Reign? and Scientific Inquiry Prevail. I had originally titled the column, Climate Change Activists Clamp Down on Free Speech and Scientific Inquiry. However, because I published it on originally on July 4th, Independence Day, I decided to go with that freedom theme. I thought it was appropriate for that. However, Breitbart, who published it late on Tuesday, July 5th, went with my original title, Climate Change Activist Clamp Down on Free Speech and Scientific Inquiry. And I was inspired to write this column this week. While I have been following this topic for many months, I actually wrote it this week because this topic is really about a group of attorney generals who have chosen to really clamp down and silence those of us who do not agree, and especially those of us who speak out vocally about the president's war on fossil fuels. And as a result of that, uh, my organization has, has, has lost some serious funding that was really important to us. So this topic is near and dear to my heart. But I wrote on it this week because Claude Walker, the Attorney General from the Virgin Islands, and you know, who knew the Virgin Islands had an Attorney General, but Claude Walker, who has filed subpoenas against ExxonMobil and against the noted, well-respected Washington, D.C. think tank, the Competitive Enterprise Institute, last week withdrew those Subpoenas. So to start out today's show with us, we have Sam Kasman, who is the general counsel for the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and he's going to talk to us about about those subpoenas, about what they mean, and, and about what's really happened since then. So Sam, I appreciate you joining me once again and look forward to your insights on this topic. Thanks, Marita. It is a uh, pleasure to join you. You know, I mentioned, obviously, the Competitive Enterprise Institute, known to many of us as uh, CEI, was subpoenaed. Can you explain to us what happened and how that worked for you? Sure. Um, This actually happened on uh, the second or third day that uh, our new president, uh, Kent Lassman, uh, had uh, uh, taken office here. And so it was uh, an unexpectedly uh, energetic uh, uh, and frenetic uh, welcome for him into uh, CEI's world. But basically on April 7th, a process server came uh, to our door with a document, and uh, I uh, took it, uh, signed for it, and opened it up, and voila. It was a uh, subpoena uh, from the Virgin Islands. Uh, we had been following uh, 
uh, for a number of months now calls for uh, a RICO investigation uh, that, that actually started in a sense uh, last summer. And we'd known that uh, on March 29th, Eric Schneiderman, the Attorney General of New York State, had uh, held a uh, widely covered press conference up in New York uh, at which he unveiled a new coalition called the uh, uh, Attorneys General United for Clean Power, which it would turn out the more accurate name for them really would be Attorneys General United for More Power. And uh, <laughs> sort, of, sort of the centerpiece of his uh, press conference was Al Gore, uh, so we knew uh, this had a, a huge amount of uh, intellectual and scientific uh, depth to it. But basically, they announced, uh, Schneiderman announced that uh, he and uh, the um, uh, dozen or so AGs who actually joined him, I'm not sure how many were there in person, um, and, uh, the, the, the total count of states that were. I believe it was seven to my best research. Yeah, and I think seven, about ten others had sent delegates rather than AGs or had signed on paper. But uh, they all were committing to undertake what Schneiderman himself called an unprecedented attempt to use all the tools at their disposal uh, to stop the, what they saw as the blocking of needed uh, energy reform. Uh, and so I think it was clear from the get-go that this was no mere... Uh, a national law enforcement campaign. It was a national campaign to simply shut down uh, climate debate uh, once and for all. And uh, once we got our subpoena, we quickly decided we were having no part of this. Uh, the subpoena demanded um, a decade's worth of our work running from 1997 through uh, uh, the first day of uh, 2007. Um, on uh, all climate policy, all energy policy, and uh, included in that uh, demand would have been uh, uh, all our mailings to our supporters, which essentially meant it was also demanding uh, contact information for our donors as well. And so this really uh, meant uh, it was uh, trying to commit two really flagrant uh, violations of the First Amendment, not just one. One, it was an attack on us uh, for what we had been saying uh, on our free speech rights. And secondly, it was an attack on those who have been supporting us. Uh, and the, uh, there's actually you know, a very distinguished line of Supreme Court cases going back to the 1950s holding that the uh, supporters of organizations have a First Amendment right to confidentiality. This actually started with the NAACP, in the case called NAACP versus Alabama, where the state of Alabama uh, wanted the a list of the NAACP's supporters, and it was clear that the sole purpose of that, uh, of seeking that information, was to be able to intimidate the NAACP's supporters. Uh, and there have been a number of cases since then that have uh, come to the very same holding. So we very quickly made it clear that uh, we were not going to comply with the subpoena in any form whatsoever. And you all, did you all file then? I mean, how did you make that clear? Did you file a countersuit or, or what happened? 
what happened was first we put out uh, some press releases. <clears throat> at that, you know, at that point on uh, April seventh, we thought uh, that by the end of the day we would have heard from a number of other groups, uh, uh, groups like-minded to us that would right, who would call you and say, "Hey, did you guys just get this?" And you you assume that many of your peers were having similar subpoenas. Sure, and what had happened really was that uh, we were the only think tank uh, singled out in this manner, which I guess in one sense uh, we took as a, as a badge of honor. Uh, but we yes. made it clear in press releases and calls to reporters that we would not comply. We also learned that Exxon itself had already been subpoenaed uh, by the Virgin Islands AG, um, uh, let's see, I, I think in the... Or in mid-March, even before that uh, press conference, as well as one of its uh, public relations firms. So the Virgin Islands, uh, basically, the AG there had sent out three subpoenas, uh, one to us, one to Exxon, one to its PR firm. The Exxon subpoena actually listed um, over, uh, let's see, about 80 or more in, uh, think tanks, research centers, individual researchers, and individual uh, policy analysts as well that were of a special interest uh, to the AG. And uh, rather than going after just a uh, mere decade's worth of work as it did for us, I believe it was going after um, 30 or 40 years' worth of uh, Exxon Communications. Yeah, four decades is what my research dug up that they, that they wanted four decades of Exxon records. Yeah, and so uh, we quickly got uh, in touch that very day, actually, with uh, the attorneys who have been representing us uh, in a somewhat related uh, uh, climate science issue, namely a defamation lawsuit by Michael Mann against us, against National Review, and against Mark Stein. Uh, those attorneys, Andrew Grossman and Dave Rifkin of the law firm Baker and Hostetler, were quite expert in uh, 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 handling issues issues of uh, uh, intimidation campaigns being waged by government officials. They had recently, and I think still are, involved in the uh, one campaign like that that took place in Wisconsin. Uh, and so um, what we ended up doing um, was first communicating our constitutional objections to the uh, D.C. attorneys who were uh, working for the uh, Virgin Islands AG. Uh, th that firm, Cole Milstein, actually turns out to be a national plaintiff class action firm. If you go to its website, you find out that one of the specialties of the specific attorney there handling this was to persuade various uh, uh, state and local officials that um, they could simply enter into a contingency fee arrangement regarding uh, some it, something something that if if the campaign were brought forward would end up producing quite a few uh, quite a lot of money in the way of penalties, and this would be at no cost uh, or at minimal cost to the AG's office itself. Uh, one of these contingency fee contracts. Um, so we filed a uh, uh, suit uh, here in, um, in, in District of Columbia local court, not federal court, and we were using um, a, uh, a, a type of law called an anti-slap law. 
Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that acronym or if your listeners are, but SLAP essentially stands for Strategic Litigation Against Public Participation. SLAP lawsuits began to be developed several decades ago when you had something like, for example, a building developer uh, faced with uh, people picketing outside the, the, his construction site, uh, picketing for some ideological reason, and he ends up suing them, claiming defamation or something like that, where it's pretty obvious he has no real case that the sole object of his filing that suit is to shut down the protest, shut down the picket line. Uh, and a number of cities and states have enacted what are called anti-slap lawsuits, whose purpose is to allow uh, the victims, the targets of this sort of lawsuit, uh, to file in court quickly shift the burden to the actual person or entity that had filed the SLAP lawsuit, make them show that they either have a, uh, a, a meritorious case or get the case dismissed. It's a way of quickly adjudicating and disposing of cases that really are frivolous because what you've got at stake is a First Amendment right uh, to speak, and that is being uh, chilled by litigation that in the normal yeah. course of things might take a long, long time. Um, and Sam, I hate to interrupt you, but we're, we're down to one minute left, so we're going to have to kind of jump. Okay. The fa story is fascinating, we're, but we're... We, I'm sorry for that. So we had our court hearing last Tuesday on our motion. Uh, a day after okay. that, we learned that Exxon's subpoena had been withdrawn, and a day after that, we learned that our subpoena had been withdrawn as well. But frankly, uh, that makes little difference to our motions because we think this sort of uh, uh, illegal and constitutional misconduct needs to be punished, and we want the Virgin AG to be sanctioned. So you've not dropped your slap lawsuit. Absolutely not, no. And we actually think the withdrawals really strengthen the case we've got on those uh, slap motions. Yeah, I would agree. It shows that they realized that they were wrong. Yeah, yep, not just wrong, but the, it's a sort of wrong for which uh, that has to be righted. It can't just be, uh, yeah. oh, never mind, I withdraw my subpoena. Well, I appreciate you taking your time today, Sam, to explain this case to it. You've really covered it well, and I think it will really help our listeners to understand where this has come from and uh, where it's going. So thanks for your time. We are out of time for this segment, but we'll be right back on America's Voice for Energy on AmericasWebRadio.com. Thank you, Sam. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction. 
or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. We're having a fascinating discussion this week about a case that's kind of been percolating through um, the, the D.C. climate for really for several years, and that is using RICO against climate change deniers. As we've learned, there's a list of organizations out there that are being targeted for prosecution. And one of those organizations is the Mountain States Legal Foundation. And we have with us for this segment the president, Perry Penley. Perry, thanks for joining us on America's Voice for Energy to talk about this important story. Uh, great to be with you. Thank you for uh, your reporting on it. Uh, as, you, as you say, uh, not many people have uh, written about this. It's a huge story. It's frightening, uh, and it needs to be uh, brought to the public's attention to understand what some of their elected officials are doing. Yeah, and you know that underreporting is really a big part of why I decided to address this this week. Um, my mother is visiting me for the 4th of July for the holiday, and my mom is a news junkie, which is kind of part of how I, in a way, am good at what I do because I was raised watching the news and following politics. And when I brought the subject up to her, I actually had planned to write on Obama's methane regs this week, but when I brought up this subject to her, when the, when Walker, Claude Walker, the independent attorney general from the Virgin Islands, and, you know, who knew the Virgin Islands had an attorney general? But anyway, when I brought and that then, up to and her... Then, and that he's a former employee of the EPA. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that part. Well, you can. That's, that's why we do this show, because we add a lot of these details into it. But when I brought it up to my mother, she had no idea about it, and she's a news junkie. And I thought, well, if Mom doesn't know anything about right. it, um, you know, probably most people don't. So I tried to write a pretty comprehensive beginning to end. Not that it's really ended yet, but we, we do have, they definitely have a setback. So, so you know, it's it's an important story. So you said you're saying Claude Walker was formerly with the EPA. Oh, that's right, and uh, went back. It went back. He uh, lived in New York for a number of years. He worked in the Virgin Islands. He worked in the United States. He worked with the EPA, and then he went back uh, to take over, uh, uh, become the AG at uh, at the Virgin Islands. Uh, but this is a this is a huge, huge issue, a huge story, and. Uh, it's absolutely frightening that uh, these attorney general attorneys general uh, could get together and think that they could go after people like this. And it's not just Mountain States Legal Foundation and Competitive Enterprise Institute and Exxon Mobil, but hundreds of uh, individuals um, and organizations around the country, and by implication, their supporters and their clients for Mountain States Legal Foundation, for example, one of the people involved is the New Mexico Attorney General. Uh, he was not at the press conference in New York, but he did sign on to it. And uh, yes. we, Mountain States Legal Foundation, we represented the Independent Petroleum Association of New Mexico in litigation, including litigation that deals with climate change or global warming or global cooling, whatever they want to call it. And so when... Uh, 
when there's a subpoena handed out, Mountain States Legal Foundation is listed. By implication, that, that includes our donors and our clients uh, and, the, and the people who uh, support us. And that, that, that's positively frightening. It's just, it's just a, a terrifying thing to have these people with the power to uh, uh, convene a grand jury uh, to tell you, you and everybody associated with you is on the watch list. So they're using uh, what's called RICO. For our listeners, can you just real briefly explain that what that is? And then I'd like to hear, how does that um, apply to an organization such as yours? Well, there's a joke in Washington that the racketeering law, we commonly called RICO, was really written originally to go after people named RICO. Uh, it was uh, targeted uh, at the mafia, and uh, the Congress and law enforcement people were having difficulty finding ways to get at, at the, this underworld, this organized crime enterprise, and so... Uh, what they came up with was a law that uh, said that if there is a conspiracy to commit a felony, um, then they can go after the people who are part of that conspiracy. And that was used effectively against organized crime. And so Senator Whitehouse from Rhode Island uh, hypothesized on the floor of the Senate, uh, well, why don't we use this against ExxonMobil? Uh, it was used uh, somewhat successfully, uh, he opined, with regard to the tobacco industry because it uh, purportedly withheld uh, uh, information it had that cigarette smoking caused cancer. Um, why don't we use it against uh, uh, ExxonMobil and these people who, who say, uh, gee, maybe climate change really isn't happening or maybe we're not causing it or maybe the solution we've come up with uh, uh, isn't a good one. And then he kind of backed off of it in his press, uh, in his uh, statement on the floor and say, I'm not saying we have any evidence, but maybe we ought to think about it. And, uh, and then a group of so-called scientists, they call the George Mason 20, uh, led by a professor over there at George Mason, uh, signed a letter and sent it off to uh, the Attorney General and the President of the United States and the President's science advisor, who's a longtime lefty, and um, uh, yes. a, a, a sky is falling nut job, um, and said, "Hey, why don't you uh, why don't you go forward with this?" And then, incredibly, as you reported in your article, and this almost nobody reported, Senator Whitehouse during the during a Senate committee asked the Attorney General of the United States, "Are you looking into this?" And instead of blowing it off and saying, hey, you're an idiot, or words to that effect, politely, uh, she said, yeah, um, there's, uh, there, there's, uh, there's some substance there, and you, you put it in your article, um, and we're following right. up on it. We're actually investigating it. Uh, she, she, she gave more credibility to this crazy idea uh, then, then she's given to any investigation into uh, Secretary Clinton's uh, 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 misadventures with her emails and uh, what she's done on that. And uh, uh, subsequently, the attorney, attorneys general uh, got together in New York, uh, decided to jump on the uh, 
the the briefing regarding the uh, attempt to kill the coal industry in this country, and meanwhile said, and and we're also going to go after Exxon Mobil and anybody associated with Exxon Mobil, and that's when that. Uh, that subpoena came out of the Virgin Islands, and as you reported, there were earlier efforts by the Attorney General in California, and then an effort by Attorney General in Massachusetts. But it was one by the Virgin Islands, naming first Exxon and then Competitive Enterprise Institute, uh, that that really got this thing rolling. And then when uh, the news came out on the substance of that subpoena listing 100 individuals and entities, including Mountain State's Legal Foundation, that all of a sudden, at least in the, uh, the neutral press, uh, started to get coverage because it's it's so frightening. And it is so frightening, the, the thought that they can use this. You know, it's interesting, as I've uh, been reading the comments on my column that are out there, you know, it's, uh, my column is published in Breitbart.com and Spectator.org and Townhall.com, just to name a few, and I go back and read the comments, and many people have commented that, that really it should be the reverse, that it's them conspiring against us. Uh, and that if there if there really is any RICO uh, cause, uh, that it's really the other way around. Well, it, it's certainly, uh, I, I, I don't know if what they are doing rises to RICO, but it certainly rises to the level of uh, raising serious questions about an abuse of prosecutorial discretion on the part of attorneys general. Uh, the idea that, they're targeting, and, and for the, for example, the Attorney General of New Mexico being a part of a campaign to target his constituents, uh, people in his state. And, oh, by the way, uh, an industry in his state that is a substantial provider of uh, yes. tax revenues to benefit, uh, just to name a, uh, one thing, education in New Mexico, not to mention everything else that the oil and gas industry uh, uh, provides for the state of New Mexico and the idea that uh, an attorney general will decide to target the people in that industry because of their exercise of free speech. And some of the crazy things that have come out of this in the aftermath, are, for example, and I can't call them to mind quickly, but some of the uh, crazy statements by the attorney general of New York uh, with regard to an abuse of your First Amendment rights. What in the world, what, what 1984 world is that, that you have a law, the top law enforcement official for the state of New York saying people are abusing their First Amendment rights? Uh, <laughs> it, 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 yeah, that's it, a good it, point. I mean, how do you abuse your First Amendment rights? Exactly right. And, uh, that, and that's what he, that's uh, what he's saying we're doing. But, but what it is is that people like you and me are speaking up against things that he want silenced, and that's why we're abusing our First Amendment rights, in his opinion, because he wants to silence people that's like us. That's right. Has this, has being listed in this uh, changed the way you do business, or are you seeing it as a badge of honor? Oh, it's a badge of honor, absolutely no question about it. I, uh, who knows what happened if uh, Hillary Clinton gets elected president, what kinds of actions will take place now that the Congress... And, you know, and you uh, bring that up, that's why this election is so important. The future of energy really hangs in the balance. Well, the future of a lot of things hangs in the balance. Yes. And, uh, 
And the, here we have uh, Congress has not been able to indict or uh, uh, hold in contempt the head of the IRS who has thumbed his nose at the Congress uh, for the activities that have gone on in, in, in the IRS uh, uh, purposefully and willfully uh, attacking conservative organizations or liberty-espousing entities. And uh, so uh, Congress has not been able to take action in response to that. Uh, what, what terrible things will happen uh, in a new IRS under uh, President Clinton uh, uh, as a follow-on to this? Because I, I, I don't think uh, I don't think they're done with this. I I think they they're just so frightened about their inability to scare the American people into giving up their liberties uh, that they need to shut off uh, people who are uh, providing the some of the questions that people need to be asking about climate change or global warming or global cooling. Yeah, you know, I wanted to ask you, and I'm really kind of out of time. Well, actually, I've got I've got about 30 seconds left. You're an attorney. Where do you think this goes from here? We we know that Walker, uh, which you and I have not specifically addressed, but Walker has withdrawn his subpoena. Um, where do you think it goes from here in about 30 seconds? Oh, they're going to they're going to keep after it. The one characterization of the left and progressives is uh, they're relentless. And uh, this isn't over, and they'll just try to find a, a different venue and a different opportunity, and that just so, shows why freedom-loving Americans have to fight, fight back. We just had the 4th of July. We recognize the sacrifices of our forefathers, and we need to make those sacrifices to preserve that freedom. Perfect way to end. Perry Penley, president of the Mountain States Legal Foundation, thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. My pleasure. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, Visit LibertyOnCall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, and in this segment, we're going to be talking with my friend Joe Bast, 
who is the president of the Heartland Institute, for which I am honored to serve as one of their experts on the topic of energy policy. And the Heartland Institute publishes my weekly column on their blog, Somewhat Reasonable. So, Joe, thanks so much for the support that you give me and for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for uh, helping us on energy and environment topics. Well, you know, this topic of the Attorney General's investigation, their fishing expedition, as many have called it, is is certainly um, concerning for those of us who are focused on free markets in this country. And we see this these Attorney Generals trying to clamp down on free speech. And the Heartland Institute is one of the organizations named in uh, one of these subpoenas. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, uh, just for clarity, so the Heartland Institute has not been subpoenaed, uh, but we are one of the hundred organizations that are listed in the uh, Virgin Islands subpoena that was sent to both Exxon and to the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and we're in some of the shorter lists that appear in the other uh, subpoenas that have also been filed. So if you're on all those lists, you guys obviously are, are a target. How did that make you feel when you were aware of that? Did that make you feel proud or scared or what? Um, I have to admit uh, scared is the better description. Um, you know, we're, we're based here in Illinois. Uh, just an hour and a half north of us is Wisconsin. And in Wisconsin, they had the John Doe investigations where police were literally kicking people's doors down and confiscating their files for political crimes, for thought crimes. And I was thinking, you know, at any day now, I could expect somebody from the Department of Justice to show up at the Heartland Institute or even my private home and start confiscating all of our files. Uh, the subpoenas that were sent to CEI and to Exxon are so general, so vague, so all-encompassing that they could literally confiscate every file, every file cabinet, every uh, all the substance in the drawers of my desk, my computer, my cell phone, and this is what they were doing in Wisconsin. So my reaction is absolutely, this is a, a, a scary thing. Uh, I've been talking about uh, global warming and, and making these arguments for over 20 years now, and I think it's pretty clear I'm a target, and the Department of Justice and the Attorney General's it's just a matter of time before they would start coming after us. It is a frightening thing in their attempt to silence free speech. As I mentioned in, in the column, my little personal story, I'm not big enough to be on those lists, uh, for which I am grateful because it is a scary thing. But my some of my uh, funding that I had lined up was pulled uh, directly as a result of my being vocal and speaking out against uh, really the president's uh, attack on fossil fuels using climate change as that vehicle. So I, I am, have been directly impacted by this inquisition. Well, and the fact that, that you're not a big think tank uh, doesn't mean it's any less likely that you'll be the target. They may single you out precisely because they figure you can't afford legal counsel. So this is really Which funny. is totally true, totally true. <laughs> uh, it, it 
truly is a an attempt to take the Justice Department and weaponize it against enemies of the Obama administration. Uh, this is just like Richard Nixon going after his enemies, uh, except on the Democrat side. Listen, the Department of Justice doesn't care if Fred Singer doesn't believe that uh, man-made global warming is a problem. Um, they would allow him to speak his mind and say and publish anything he wants. What they're upset about is groups like the Heartland Institute and Fred Singer's organization, the Science and Environmental Policy Project, attacking or criticizing, I should simply say criticizing, the Obama administration's energy policies, like the Clean Power Plan. When we criticize that, all of a sudden we get the attention of the U.S. attorney. Uh, you know, All of a sudden we're getting subpoenas and, and attacks on our donors. So this isn't a scientific debate. I, you know, Heartland, the Heartland Institute has done an enormous amount of research and publications on the science of climate change. Today, it's very clear that the debate isn't really about the science, not for these guys, not for the Obama administration. This is all about power and politics, intimidating your opponents, silencing them, scaring off donors so that your opponents are underfunded. It's exactly what they did against the Tea Party movement. Uh, you know, it's what they're doing against Donald Trump uh, and other Republican candidates. So this is all, all part of a, a campaign strategy by President Obama and by Democratic allies to silence and, and minimize opposition. You know, in saying that, some might think you kind of sound like a conspiracy theorist, Joe. <laughs> you know, if they were doing this secretly and behind closed doors, it might be a conspiracy, but they're not. It's on the front page of the New York Times. Um, over and over again, these guys have have uh, militarized uh, various agencies of government. The FBI you know, is now just the latest one. Before that, it was the IRS. I mean, it's very clear that this administration is not shy about using government agencies to go after its opponents. Uh, it's a tremendous well, you mentioned, individual liberty. Go ahead. You've mentioned the Department of Justice and you mentioned the FBI, and of course this week is the week that many of us were shocked uh, with Director Comey's announcement about Hillary Clinton and uh, not indicting her. Is that an example of... Of the political, political, I can't say the word there. Politicization, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, uh, yeah, of the these agencies. Of, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> it absolutely is. The it is absolutely astonishing to see the head of the FBI stand up there and say, "Well, you know, we've investigated this. It looks like she was really reckless. It looks like she probably violated lots of rules and procedures. She probably endangered the United States of America. Ordinarily, a person like this would be subject to severe sanctions, but we're not going to recommend prosecution in this case. Thank you. No questions, and I'm gone." <laughs> It was pretty shocking, I, but I think he gave us a gift. But that's a topic for another day, so uh, because we've only got we're, we're we're about halfway through our time together, a little more than halfway through our time together. And I want to move to the science because you talked about well, this isn't really about science. This is really more about protecting Obama's legacy. You didn't use those words; those are my words. But what about the science? They use this constantly. This consensus argument, and I know that some, that is a, something that the Heartland Institute has focused greatly on. That's, that's exactly correct. As this debate has moved along over the years, uh, the groups on the alarmist side 
have, I, uh, I won't say they've given up on other arguments because every day they're, they're claiming that some new study, you know, supposedly shows this, that, or the other thing. But it comes down to a claim of consensus. The most frequently heard argument from the alarmist community now is that the debate is over. 97% of scientists agree that there is uh, a human impact and that uh, climate change is dangerous. We've got to do something about it. Um, the uh, uh, NASA on its website cites four sources for its claim of 97% consensus. And those four sources are idiotic. There's a socialist historian, uh, that's Naomi Oreskes. There's two college students who did term papers, basically, and then got their college professors to uh, add their name as a co-author in order to get them published. And then you've got the crazy uh, blogger in Australia, Cook, uh, who, with a bunch of his friends, did a ex uh, excerpt counting exercise and claimed to have found 97%. Everybody else who looked at the same data says, actually, it shows just the opposite. There's hardly any articles being published these days that support the claim of man-made global warming. So the sources of the claim that there's a consensus are bogus. None of these articles should ever have been published in a peer-reviewed article. They certainly shouldn't appear on the website of a government agency. But yet there they are, and they're claiming that using that, because it's on this government agency, obviously this is accurate. Exactly, exactly right. And one reason they, they use that argument is because they know that if you tell the average person that there is a debate taking place about how big the human impact is on climate and whether the results are going to be uh, negative or positive, uh, the minute they hear that there is a debate taking place, interest in doing something about it just drops through the floor. The American public, according to all the surveys, don't think we need to do anything more on global warming. We're already doing more than enough on the issue. And when you tell them that there's scientific debate, they say, that's all I needed to hear. Let's focus on creating jobs. Let's focus on the terrorist threat. Let's focus on any of 20 other issues that are more important than this tiny hypothetical possibility of a problem a century from now or two centuries from now. So that's why the left avoids debate. They, I mean, we're like like a crucifix to a vampire. Uh, they just don't want to sit down and admit that there's any disagreement at all. Uh, but the truth is there is. As, as you know very well, um, uh, what's her name? Judith Curry, you know, yeah. this wonderful series of articles talking about how global warming is a wicked wickedly difficult problem. Um, it is so difficult, scientists will probably never be able to figure it out. There are so many disciplines uh, whose findings need to be brought together. There is so much uncertainty. The computer models are so unreliable and so primitive and so reworked and tooled and tweaked now that they're completely unreliable guides. So the scientific community will never figure this out. The odds that we're going to ever know what climate looks like 10 years or 20 years from now are de minimis. Uh, we're just not going to know. So for the other side to claim there's a scientific consensus that we have this figured out, that there's a thermostat in the sky that we can turn and uh, cool or heat up the climate is just ridiculous on its face. For that to form the basis of litigation uh, you know, is, is ludicrous times two. Just astonishing that they would make such a a silly claim as the basis for actual criminal 
and civil prosecution against global warming skeptics. It's an amazing world that we live in. It is, I just want to mention real quickly, the name of my column is May Free, May Free Speech Reign and Scientific Inquiry Prevail. And within that column, I have a link to a quote from you, Joe, that includes a link to Judith Curry's series of articles. So I encourage our listeners to check that out. Joe, we're down to about a minute left. And I, we haven't gotten to mention uh, the book that Heartland has put together that deals with this consensus issue, and I want to be sure that we get that in. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, very briefly, the title is Why Scientists Disagree About Global Warming. It's written by three climate scientists. It's an easy read. It's only 100 pages long. This book will actually form one of the chapters of a much larger book that we will publish later this year. Uh, if you have friends who think about global warming and disagree with you about it, give them a copy of the book. Uh, I, I don't think you can read this book and walk away and still believe that global warming is a major threat. And it's really well done, carefully written, and uh, a great gift for friends and foes and, and relatives alike. Well, your work on it is a great gift to the public discussion on this topic, and uh, I was honored to write a foreword for it, and thank you for, for that opportunity for me. We're out of time for this segment of America's Voice for Energy, but we've been talking with Joe Bass, president of the Heartland Institute, talking specifically about the myth of the uh, global warming consensus. Thanks for joining us, Joe, and for our listeners, we'll be right back. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This week we've been discussing the uh, attack by the 17 attorney generals uh, against free speech, particularly over the topic of climate change. And in my column, I, I quoted Ronald Bailey, who is the science correspondent for Reason Magazine, found at Reason.com. And so I invited him to join us 
to discuss this topic more thoroughly. But a couple things that are of particular interest is that he has written a column on this topic himself, which I encourage you to check out at Reason.com, and it's called Free Speech and Climate Fraud Prosecution Follies. Ronald Bailey is also the author of a new book called The End of Doom, Environmental Renewal in the 21st Century. So, Ronald, thanks for joining me today on America's Voice for Energy. I'm delighted to be with you. So, you know, as I mentioned, you, Reason Foundation, I mentioned this in my column, I didn't mention this in my introduction, but in my column I mentioned that the Reason Foundation is one of the many organizations that are on this list of um, that the attorney generals want to look at for possible collusion. Is that what you would call it? Uh, yes, it was a subpoena that was filed by the, uh, the equivalent of the Attorney General of the U.S. Virgin Islands. His name is Claude Walker, and he sent a, a basically a very broad-based subpoena demanding that uh, Exxon, actually to Exxon, demanding that Exxon turn over any of their communications with a whole list of think tanks, university professors, that kind of thing, uh, from the 1970s till today, if they'd ever had a discussion or if anyone at ExxonMobil had had a discussion with them about the issue of climate change and also any records of any funding that they might have been sort of supplied. And the Reason Foundation was, was listed on that, though uh, I, I'm, I'm told by um, my uh, colleagues at the foundation that ExxonMobil once did support us but hasn't done so for more than a decade now. Yeah, from what, what research I've found, it seems like Exxon hasn't done much in this space in a long time. I think that's correct. And on top of that, Exxon has come out in favor of a climate or carbon tax, and uh, they've, they've come out saying that uh, climate change issues may, in fact, impact their business. That's absolutely correct. So basically the premise of this uh, I call them a, a cabal of, uh, of attorneys general. They, they call themselves uh, AGs United for Clean Power. Uh, their notion, they're motivated by the notion that somehow or other ExxonMobil has defrauded its stockholders by not warning them that climate change might affect their business. And when I first came across this back uh, in November, I went to, and I went back to and reread a lot, well, not reread, read a, a number of ExxonMobil's um, annual reports. And what I noticed was is that the company has, since 2006, been putting in some sort of statement that climate change and the policies stemming from climate change might affect their bottom line. And what's notable about that, that's also the same year that the UN's uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change first declared that most of the warming is probably attributable to uh, the burning of fossil fuels. So basically, ExxonMobil started putting that into their annual reports when the international body that is determined for, uh, that, that sort of determines what the scientific uh, data are had finally concluded that most of the warming was attributable to burning fossil fuels. So I don't see what the fraud was. Yeah, I, I, I'm no attorney, but as you're saying that, and I read that in your column, um, that it, it certainly seems like they're, they've got that base covered. It does. And the other thing about it, of course, who, who in the United States has not been hearing about the debate over climate change? 
and the burning of fossil fuels. It's not as though the, 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 the poor little stockholders of ExxonMobil, uh, by which way I am, I am a stockholder. I bought 50 shares of, uh, on the advice of my wife uh, some time ago with my own money, uh, and it's done okay. Uh, in any case, it's not as though the, the, the poor little stockholders of ExxonMobil had no idea that somebody might you know, somewhere decide to regulate fossil fuels. It, it, it's this notion that somehow uh, the, the stockholders were, made, were kept ignorant by the uh, executives running the, the corporation is just ludicrous. So even though you, unlike me, and you and I, and I, I point this out, are somewhat on different sides of this issue, I don't necessarily deny that fossil fuels might have an impact on climate change, but I do question the, the overall impact or the percentage, or you know, and I question the, 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 the amount of fix. But you, uh, unlike me, do, do believe that fossil fuel burning does contribute to climate change and perhaps substantially. Is that correct? That is correct. I do think that. Okay. I've, been covering, I've been covering this issue for almost 30 years now, and I was quite skeptical for a very long time. But I, I've been following the science, and I've talked to a bunch of scientists. I keep up with the literature and that kind of thing. And slowly but surely, it, it, I concluded that the balance of the evidence is not a slam dunk beyond a reasonable doubt kind of a conclusion, but the balance of the evidence has persuaded me that uh, the burning of fossil fuels is contributing to uh, warming the climate and that that could uh, become a significant problem for humanity over the course of the century if we don't uh, start shifting the, the fuels that we use later in the century. So and I, I think that's an important distinction to make so that while you're basically uh, on the side of, uh, on the, you know, catastrophic climate change side of this issue, while you hold that view, you feel that uh, what the attorney generals have done is really uh, an attack on free speech. Yes, it is an attack on free speech. Uh, I mean, people are allowed to be wrong. Uh, that's the whole point of free speech, the way that you count. Yeah, and in your column, you point out it. some of those. In your column, right. you point out many of those. Would you share those with us? Sure. I mean, what I point out, for example, I asked the question, was it fraud when uh, biologist uh, Paul Ehrlich, who wrote uh, in, in his book, The Population Bomb, that hundreds of millions of people going to die of famine in the 1970s didn't come true. And there's a whole raft, of course, of peak uh, oil people, uh, Colin Campbell, uh, Jean Leher, Kenneth Deffy, uh, Daniel Goodstein, who all predicted that uh, global oil peaked production peaked in 2010. Was that fraud? Or statistician Nassim Taleb, you know, the guy who did the Black Swan book that everyone is so uh, fond of, which I don't think was all that brilliant. But in any case, leaving that aside, <laughs> he, said that, he said that genetically modified crops could bring about the destruction of all life on the planet. And that's obviously nonsense. So there are a whole bunch of these kinds of things that I think have been proven not to be true. I don't think I think that these people sincerely believed these their arguments and so forth, but they were sincerely wrong. And it's okay to be sincerely wrong. It would be better if you would admit that you were, but the, that rarely occurs, I'm afraid. Yeah, those retractions, as we know, tend to if they appear at all, are on some back page in small print. But but so where do you see as you follow this issue and and you've written on it and as i said you even agree with probably the viewpoint uh, ideologically of the attorney generals why do you think they've gone this 
pra- this this direction that based on my research, even many people such as yourself who agree philosophically question the legal uh, grounds on which they stand. Right. I'm, I'm going to first push back slightly. I'm not agreeing with it philosophically or ideologically. I'm agreeing scientifically that okay. uh, it's a problem. It, 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 it's a, I'm doing facts, not opinion in this case. Um, Good. So okay. Appreciate facts, that. Not opinion. But uh, in, what they're trying to do, and this was, and, and this is coming out slowly, but surely is, is that a group of environmental activist groups have gotten together over the years, and what they've tried to figure out is how can we take down these uh, these oil companies. And the biggest one, of course, is ExxonMobil. And so they looked around and they thought about the uh, the the. the what happened in the in the late 1990s was there was an agreement with the tobacco companies uh, that they had lied, which they had lied to their to their consumers, saying that uh, smoking tobacco did not contribute to uh, causing cancer. And uh, similarly, a group of, of attorneys general got together and they came up with an agreement where essentially the tobacco companies agreed to pay literally tens of billions of dollars in some sort of reparations for having made those lies. So this is the model that they're trying to actuate with regard to ExxonMobil and other fossil fuel companies. So you're the same thing as the lying tobacco companies. But I don't see that they're going to be able to pull that off. Again, I'm not a legal analyst, but it just doesn't seem plausible to me, and it certainly doesn't seem reasonable to me. So what are they hoping that they'll do? If, it, if you know, like I said, from what I looked at, it doesn't seem to hold a lot of water legally, the argument. I, again, I'm not a legal analyst. That doesn't to me either. But what they're hoping to do is to get Exxon to shut up about this issue. Though I don't know why, since, as you pointed out, ExxonMobil is now fully on board with a revenue-neutral carbon tax. But they also are are trying to, uh, uh, if you will, shut up the various advocacy groups that are, uh, are skeptical of global climate change. They're basically trying to say, uh, we can go after anybody for saying things that we think were wrong uh, ideologically. And I think that that is a very dangerous way to go. Uh, if you try to shut that down, as has been pointed out by more conservative attorneys generals and a dear colleague letter recently, you can turn that right around on the renewable energy companies going, did you warn your stockholders that uh, your um, – uh, profits are totally dependent upon the fact that you get huge government subsidies that could go away at any time, or perhaps the problem of climate change will turn out not to be such a big problem, and your profits will go down as well. So they're basically saying, if you pull this strategy off, we don't know where this could go, but anybody in the market could be accused of fraud if they say something which turns out to be wrong. And that's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Are you aware uh, of the Resolute Forest Products lawsuit using RICO against Greenpeace? I, I assume not, you I, are. I, I'm not, actually, and I should look that up. No. Yeah, I wrote a column on it about three weeks ago. It's fascinating because Resolute Forest Products has um, used the RICO Act against uh, the Greenpeace and saying, and, and I've talked to the attorney just like I'm talking to you. I talked to the attorney for Resolute Forest Products and kind of said, why do you think RICO is a good angle? He said, well, it's a perfect angle because they are, they are, they have documented falsified, 
uh, records, and then they use these claims about Resolute Forest Products Company as destroying the, the Boreal Forest in Canada, and then they use it, according to the attorney, as to extort money out of people. And um, so it's, it's an interesting, they, they have done just that. They have turned, turned the tables on that particular topic. Right. Well, I, I hope you're listening, and I'm sure your listeners are not unaware of this. The way that a lot of these groups, uh, Greenpeace, the Union Concerned Scientists, uh, Friends of the Earth, make money is by basically saying uh, the world will come to an end if you don't send us money. Yes. And I'm afraid the good news is they've been saying this for 30, 40 years, and it hasn't yet, but they still keep getting running. Yeah, it's amazing. Amazing. Well, we're out of time, Ronald Bailey. I appreciate you taking your time to join us today. Interesting discussion. I hope people will check out your column on this topic, Free Speech and Climate Fraud Prosecution Follies. You can find that on Reason.com and check out your book, I assume, on Amazon, The End of Doom, Environmental Renewal in the 21st Century. Great. Thank you very much for having me on. My pleasure, and that's, th that's it for this week's edition of America's Voice for Energy. Please join us again next week. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.